Welcome to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio, bringing you insights and strategies to help you create a magnificent and fulfilling second half of life. Here's your host, certified professional retirement coach and best-selling author, Dr. Dorian Mincer. I want to welcome everybody to my fourth Tuesday Revolutionize Your Retirement interview with expert series. I'm Dori Mincer, owner of Revolutionize Retirement and your host for the series. So I'm delighted everyone's here and let me just take a moment to introduce our wonderful guest, Sky Bergman. Sky is an accomplished award-winning photographer and Lives Well Lived is her uh, directorial debut. The film has screened in more than 300 cities, won eight awards, and the theatrical run garnered enthusiastic reviews, including a 100% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It's cur- it, was, it aired in September on PBS, and it's available on Amazon, iTunes, and PBS Pass. Passport. It actually was featured in the whole month of September and particularly on Grandparent Day. Sky's fine art photography is featured in the permanent collections throughout the world. Her commercial work has appeared on book covers for Random House and Farrar, Strauss, and Giraud, and in publications including the Smithsonian, Arthur Fromer's Budget Travel, Reader's Digest, and Archaeology Odyssey. Sky is a professor at Cal Poly since 1995 and former chair of the Art and Design Department, 2007 to 2013, and is currently a professor of photography and video. She has two short films about intergenerational connections currently on the film festival circuit and is working on a feature-length film that is a celebration of love. So I'm so delighted, Sky, to finally have you on the show. I've, you know, just been impressed with your work over the years. And, and you know, so many, we have so many people that we know in common. So I sort of have been able to follow you in many ways and hear about you in many ways. So I'm delighted that you're here. So again, welcome everybody. And, you know, why don't you start? You know, I know that you kind of have a way of starting, and I think it will tie in with what one of my early questions, which is, you know, what got you doing this? And tell us a little about it, and then we'll kind of take off with other questions and all. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, and I'm honored to be the last interview of 2021, so thank you for that. And it's kind of the perfect timing right before Thanksgiving when families are gathering. And really, for those of you looking at the the slides, I'm going to try and describe them so those of you that don't have access, you can kind of know what I'm, what I'm showing. It's a picture of my grandmother and I in the kitchen with a couple of loaves of bread that, that we baked together. And really, the project started out of a love of my grandmother, who just was an amazing role model for me. And I really, I was looking at approaching 50 and um, looking for good role models of my life of what it was like, what it would be like to be aging and really was not seeing that in the media. Everything that I was seeing was all about anti-aging creams and anti-aging, how to not age. And let's face it, we all hope to age because the alternative is that we are no longer living. So that's the one thing that we all have in common is that every day we are aging. And and so I wanted to 
highlight that and to look for role models that were positive. And my grandmother was certainly one of them. And we, like I said, we really, we loved cooking in the kitchen. And I started doing any video work at, because my grandmother was an amazing cook and like any good cook, never wrote a recipe down. And she came to visit me in California. She lived in Florida for the first time when she was 96. And for the next four summers, she spent the month of August with me and we would cook together and I would film her cooking and, and capturing her recipes and her, she showed her love really through her cooking. And when she was turning 100, I have a picture of her at the gym. She, I went back with her to celebrate her 100th birthday and she was still working out at the gym. And I said to her, grandma, can you give me some words of wisdom? And she just said things like live life to the limits and be kind. And I thought, there's a project here. And I should also say, my grandmother did not start working out at the gym until she was 80. So it is never too late to start something new, including working out at the gym. And I'm just going through some images of some of the wonderful people that I interviewed during this project. I came back from that trip. I put a little one-minute video clip together of my grandmother working out at the gym. And I sent an email blast out to my friends, family, and all the alum that I've taught over the years at Cal Poly, where I, the university here. And I just said, I have an idea for a project. I didn't know it was going to be a film at that moment, but I said, I have this idea for a project. And if you have somebody in your life that's as much an inspiration as my grandmother is to me, then please nominate them for, for this project. And I was inundated by heartwarming, wonderful nominations. In fact, it was really hard to distill it down to the people that I was going to interview. But I spent the next four years interviewing 40 people with a collective life experience of 3,000 years. And it was such a, a gift because I what I learned was that it wasn't just about their words of wisdom, but also about these incredible stories that they went through and the resilience that they had. And it was really that that became so important to me to put that together in some film to honor all the people that I had interviewed. And I was really lucky that we really we've, we've kind of gone all over with the film, as Dory said, we had a really successful film festival run. We won eight awards. We presented at the annual Girl Scout convention where Rose Albano Ballestero, who's in the film, she talked about being the only Latino in her Girl Scout troop and what a difference that made in her life. And she got to present there with, with me, and that was great. And then we opened up in theaters. And the, for those of you that can't see, I have an image of me standing under the marquee with a number of other films that were all nominated for Academy mm. Awards and just in disbelief. We screened wow. through ARP's Movies for Grown Up and, as Story said, we're now on PBS. And it's just been a wonderful ride. I mean, my mom said to me, Could, can you believe you're on PBS? And I said, Mom, I can't believe that I got, when I got on my first film festival. Every step along the way has been amazing. But really, mm. the most important thing for me through this journey has been the friends that I met and, and pictured here for those of you that, that can't see it is my friend Lucky Louie who made mozzarellas every day for his daughter's deli and I would go over and visit him all the time. This is my friend Evie Justison and, and really what I like to say is that my grandmother left me the greatest legacy which was the gift of 40 new grandparents and I feel like I have these amazing people in my life who um, I look to for wisdom, who I've become really good friends with. And so I started working with a professor here at the university, Sarah Bartlett, 
who teaches a class called the Psychology of Aging. And we started working with her class to institute an intergenerational project, a service learning component of her class, where we show the film to older adults and to students. And they have that shared experience, and we do a big Q&A together. We've done it virtually since the pandemic. And then the students use the questions that I formulated for the Lives Will Live film to get to know their assigned and older adult, and they get to work with that older adult during the quarter or the semester. And pre-pandemic times, we had a whole big photo shoot where we would get together, and it just was amazing the connections that these students and older adults made. And the questions were asked bilaterally so that we really were trying to combat the stereotypes of ageism, one story and one connection at a time. And it has been a project that we've continued through universities and high schools throughout the country. Now we're working with Senior Planet, which is part of AARP, and they're doing it virtually because right now it's a little bit safer to do it that way. We hope to get it back in person. But just last week, I was doing three different wrap parties where at the end of the quarter semester, the students present a little memoir to the person that they interviewed, but they also talk about their definition of life well-lived, how that's changed over time, over talking with their, their older adult that they're partnered with, and what they learned from this experience. And it's really, you know, we need to have more of these experiences where we bring generations together because it's very easy to have an, an ism or a stereotype about another group if you don't know somebody from that other group. But once you have a friend who is older, or if you're an older adult, you have a friend that's younger, it's really hard to have those stereotypes. And my last image um, is an image of a number of the connections that have been made. And I love this one because I have my grandmother and I in the center of this image. And it just, I, I think that I always tell my students, the more personal a project, the more universal it becomes. And there's nothing more personal than starting a project based on my grandmother and how wonderful it has been to see it just explode and, and create all these wonderful connections. So, so that's my little slideshow and kind of a little introduction into <laughs> the film and kind of what I've been doing with the film really since its release and, and how it's been used as a catalyst to create these intergenerational projects. Oh, that's also wonderful. You know, I wish the film was was around a few years ago when I was still teaching in a, a program where I had graduate students and it was about it was part of a gerontology program about aging. And I mm -hmm. what I did then, because your film wasn't available then, I brought in wonderful people that I knew who were local and they would come and interact with the students and then the students' assignment was interviewing somebody over age seventy five and for many of them it was the first First time they had ever really talked and learned about life from somebody older and you're so right that the intergenerational is so so important so you've just yeah, I mean, it's we, wonderful we, that it's being used in all those ways I just I love yeah. hearing that yeah and and just to kind of build on that I think one of the things that I read when I was doing the research for the film and I believe it was in the Huffington Post was that the last hundred years is the first time in human history that we've looked to anyone other than our elders for advice. And mm -hmm. when I read that, I remembered being so shocked by that because I had my grandparents in my life and even my great-grandmother, and they were such an influence. And, you know, it was hard for me to reconcile that and to understand that there were other people that didn't have that connection and mm -hmm. what a difference it made in my life. And so I really 
saw the film as an, an, and this opportunity to work with this professor here at the university to create something bigger than just the film and to make it, you know, have a, a more of an impact even. And I'm working with PBS Learning Media right now because we're going to do another launch of the film on PBS in May for Older Americans Month, and we're working with PBS Learning Media to develop a, a learning module for K through 12 so that teachers that are teaching K through 12 can go in and use this to create an intergenerational project in their classroom. Oh, how exciting. It's just wonderful yeah. to hear. So that's going to be in May. That's great. In May, correct. In mm-hmm. May. Now, you, I remember in the credits that came, but maybe mentioned for the guests, your your grandmother was able to see the film completed? Yes. You know, I was lucky yeah. enough that yeah. um, here in San Luis Obispo, we have a wonderful film festival. And I knew the director of the film festival. And I said to her, and this was before the film was really, truly done. I said, I, I would really like to show a rough cut of the film because, you know, I'm dealing with an aging population and I wanted as many of the people that were in the film to be able to be there. And so we did a sneak preview of the film and 27 of the 40 people that I interviewed were able to be there that night. It was in the biggest theater here, 850 people. My grandmother was at the entrance of the theater greeting everyone that came in, which was amazing. Um, It was probably the best night of my life was to share that with her and with all the people that were in the film. And she passed away six weeks after that, that screening. And, you know, my mom, she was 103 and my mom says that she lived long enough to see the film on the big screen. And I, I believe that that's true. She, she decided she was done. She literally said, I'm done. And she stopped eating and drinking and she passed away in two days. And that was mm-hmm. her stubborn as she was in life. That was as stubborn as she was mm-hmm. when she was done and she was ready. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was difficult to honor that, but I did and just stayed by her side and played guitar for her and held her hand and told mm-hmm. her I loved her and, and, and honored her wishes. And it was, it was beautiful to be with her at the end and, and beautiful to have shared the film with her on, and have her see it on the big screen. That was just a, an amazing night. Oh, it sounds like it, and how wonderful for both of you to be able to have that experience, and you to be able to honor. It's hard to honor wishes when you wish somebody could be around forever, but there's such such a reality of none of us are going to be, and how important it is to honor the wishes that people have. Not not everybody's able to do that, so... I think it's, it's yeah. an inspiration that you were. So, so how in the world did you? Oh, go ahead. It sounds like you were going to say no, something. No, no, no. Go ahead. Something. No. Yeah. No. So how how did you, with all these people you interviewed, how did you decide on the people you decided on? Because I mean, there was such a richness, or is such a richness to the film and the people you have. But you know, you, I mean, how did you make the decision? Well, that's a that's a really good question, and it was tough because I I mean as I said I feel like I have forty new grandparents, which means that I I loved everyone that I interviewed, and you know and some people unfortunately ended up on the cutting room floor and and didn't make the final cut of the film, but really what I was looking for it was great to have done a, a sneak preview of the film because I was able to sit in the audience with eight hundred and fifty people and feel where it needed to be edited, and we also did feedback forms which were great. We had about 200 people that filled out feedback forms. And I really, I took a year after that 
and completely re-edited the film and, and redid the film. And I think a big part of it was that I wanted to have a diverse group of stories. That was really important. So I realized at, at one point early on, I was kind of more European-centric in terms of history. And it was really important for me to have somebody that was of Japanese-American descent that had been interned during World War II because I didn't want to gloss over that story. And, and Susie was amazing. And I actually had interviewed somebody else that was Japanese-American who had an amazing story on paper but really could not tell the story. And that was something mm-hmm. I had to learn in moving from being a still photographer to a filmmaker is that although, you know, as a still photographer, it's really easy to swoop in and take one really great photo and write a story. But as a filmmaker, that person has to be able to tell that story. And 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 it just wasn't working with that first person that I interviewed, even though his story was amazing. And, and you know, what I did for everyone that I interviewed, their families, I gave them all the transcripts and all the, the footage that I shot so they could have that as a legacy. So even if they didn't make the final cut of the film, their family uh, got something out of it. But when I met Susie, oh my goodness, her story, she's just such a great storyteller. She's just amazing. And by the way, she's still alive. She's 102. Ooh, she wow. said in the film she wanted to live to be 100, and she's 102, so she surpassed mm-hmm. her wishes. And mm-hmm. But she was a good storyteller, and that was part of it. And I also looked right. for, in each person's story, a poignant moment, so something that they went through in their life that was really traumatic, a word of wisdom, and then humor. Because I think that as Marion Wolf, who's in the film, once said to me, the thing that really helped her get through some of the de- tough times was humor. And I think to have that balance, it's all about balance in life, and humor is part of that balance. And so that was a big part of it when I was looking at who, who made the final mm-hmm. cut. Mm, that's great. Well, I think you've begun answering what I have as my next mm-hmm. question, humor being part of it. But so, you know, given the experience, what are the common threads that you've mm-hmm. seen in the stories of, you know, of the 40 people? I, I love yeah. the idea that it's 3,000, what is it? You said 3,000 years of life experience of, among the people on the, <laughs> on the film. <laughs> it's I mean, it's mind boggling. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, and especially getting through this time of the pandemic, I think that the, the best thing that describes all of them was really something that Evie talked about, Evie Justison talked about. She read Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, which if you haven't read it, it's an amazing book. He was a Holocaust survivor. And what she got out of reading the book was that there are many times in our lives where we can't control the things that are happening around us, but what we can control is our attitude about how we deal with those things. And I think all the people in the film had something you know, very challenging that they went through in their lives. And it was really about having that positive attitude and how we look at life and how we reframe it. And I think that that is what really um, helps us get through the tough times. And I think for me, you know, the the three, the other, there were really three common threads. So one is kind of like seeing life as the glass is half full rather than half empty. And, you know, like Lucky Louie considered himself lucky no matter what happened. He would always figure out a way of why he was lucky that something happened to him. It was amazing, whether it was a flat tire or he got a car accident and he was lucky because he wasn't hurt. I mean, it was just, you know, amazing. And I think all the people in the film were able to frame it in that way. I think the other thing that for me has really resonated is that they all had a sense of purpose. And I think that's so important, regardless of your age, but especially I think as we age and we retire from a job, sometimes we lose our sense of purpose. And 
I think having that sense of purpose is something that really helps us maintain and feel valued and feel like we have something to give back. And I think that's super important. And then I think the third thing that all the people in the film really had in common was that they had a good support system. And what was interesting Mm -hmm. to me was it didn't necessarily have to be family. It could be friends. But even during the pandemic, they found ways to gather outside or do Zoom calls. I mean, Paul Wolf celebrated Marion's 90th birthday with a surprise Zoom birthday party for her. You know, they figured out creative ways to stay connected in some way. And I think that those are the things that have really resonated with me and that hopefully I'll take away and and continue in my own life so that I live a good life as they all mm-hmm. did. <laughs> right. It's a lot of things to think about. It's just interesting, too, to think about the role being part of your film provided for them of feeling acknowledged and respected and cared about. I mean, you're saying, and it's true, all of the ones that you've chosen were just wonderful storytellers, but you focused in. And I mean, do you have a sense of that, of what being in the film, being part of this wonderful project provided for them? Did some of them talk about that at all or... Well, interestingly, I was, when the film came out in theaters, I did a panel here locally in San Luis Obispo at a a little place that was nice enough to host us. And and five of the people in the film were part of that panel, which was wonderful. And I was saying how grateful I was to all the people in the film for sharing their stories, because of course, without that, there wouldn't have been a film. And, And what a gift that was that they were willing to allow me to record some very personal stories, some very deep stories, some of which they hadn't shared with anyone else. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Paul, again, Paul Wolf stood up and said, we are grateful to you because you cared enough to want to collect our stories. And in doing so, you made, you gave us some validity of our lives and our lives will now be forever, you know, in this film and passed on mm-hmm. to more generations. And I think that that's so important is that, you know, you, you never know how you're going to affect someone. And by collecting these stories, I think it really gave some validity to all of their lives. And just a, a really quick aside, because I think it's a, an appropriate sort of tangent to, to mention, I would try and take students with me on these shoots when I would do them, and just one student. And really, I was a, pretty much otherwise, I was doing a lot of the filming and the sound and the interviewing and everything, but just to have them learn on the job, so to speak. And I had a student named James who went with me on the very first time that I interviewed Lucky Louie, who is very, for those of you that haven't seen the film, he's jovial, loquacious, and just wonderful. And James and I went out to lunch after we did the interview with Lucky Louie, and, and James said to me, wow, I never knew that older people could talk so much. And and he said it so seriously, you know, and here's a student in his early 20s. And I said to him, James, don't you have an older adult in your life? And he said, well, I have a grandfather, but we really don't communicate. And it was right before Thanksgiving. And I said to him, I'm your teacher, and I'm giving you these questions that we just asked Lucky Louie, and your assignment is to go home and ask your grandfather these questions. And he came back from that trip just grinning from ear to ear, because his grandfather was so delighted that they started this conversation. And, you know, I think that for James, he just didn't know how to talk to his grandfather and and how to open up that dialogue. And it was like the dam burst when he actually cared enough to sit down with them and have this conversation. And so I think that's one of the things that I learned is like when you – 
sometimes we don't know the questions to ask. And so it's on, on the website for the film, there's a place where you can share the, your stories or the stories of your loved ones. There's the questions that I asked and the discussion guide, there's the questions. Because I think that why the intergenerational projects have been successful is because we give the students and the older adults a starting point of questions to ask right. each other. And then they can go off on tangents from there. Right. But at least it gives them a place to start. And, you know, the worst thing is to sit down with somebody and say, tell me something about yourself. It's, it's just too open-ended of a question. So it's nice to have kind of a list of questions to at least start with. But, you know, that story about James, just it just warms my heart to this day to think about the connection that he had with his grandfather because he sat down and asked him some questions. It was as simple as that. And so we're getting close to Thanksgiving. You know, I would, I would encourage all of you to download the discussion guide and, and ask some of those questions and get to know each other. You think you know your relatives, but sometimes you really don't know them as well as you think. And just taking the time to listen is so important. Absolutely. I really support that suggestion. And I take it one step further, even though none of us are filmmakers, or I don't know how many people on the call maybe are also, but I'm not. But it's so great. Take out your phone if you have a phone and do a video, you know, having the stories answered. I mean, part of that, you know, it's just kind of having that oral tradition and people love I do think people love to tell their stories and you know and this could be the beginning of you having a new project of of perhaps doing some oral history with your with your relative they don't even have to be older they can be younger too absolutely I I mean when we do this intergenerational project we have the elder adults ask the students the same questions and I think Mm -hmm. that bilateral communication I think is very important back and forth because you know they have certain stereotypes and they don't know and you know there's this idea that and and then we just like I said we just did a bunch of rap parties this last week and one of the older adults got on and said you know I had this idea that because these students were younger they weren't going to have gone through so much and and that was so far from the truth they have so many things that they're going through that we just had no idea and you know it's that taking the time to really listen I, I always say Everyone has a story to tell if you take the time to listen, no matter what age. And and it's just, I think that we are so wrapped up in our devices. It drives me crazy if I see people at a table each texting instead of talking to each other. You know? And I think that that's a lost art is learning to communicate with each other and really know, learning how to listen and leaving those open spaces for stories to emerge, I think is so important. Well, I totally agree. So tied in with that, what are other, I mean, we're still sort of in the pandemic. I mean, I I don't even mean sort of, but, you know, I mean, we've emerged, I mean, it's been, what, 19 months now of, you know, in a long period of time with the lockdown. And you, you did give an example of just how some of the, you know, the people in your film, you know, connected with people. You know, do you have some insights that, you know, that things you learned from the film that might be helpful for the listeners while we're still, grap- you know, really grappling with, is it safe to be out? Is it safe to connect with people? You know, what, mm-hmm. what would you recommend, to, you know, for people around, you know, sort of the re-entry in the world, I guess, or or maybe not re-entry if one's not comfortable doing it yet? 
Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things that really has been very powerful for me from the film has been the stories of the resilience of all the people in the film and that we will get through this. I mean, there have been other times in, in history where world wars or, pan, you know, 100 years ago, the pandemic, we will get through this. And I think that the biggest lesson is just to be kind. And, you know, it's amazing when you're kind and you have a, a practice of gratitude, how much mm. better you feel. And when you do something nice for someone else, it just makes you feel so good. <laughs> and if we just all were a little kinder to each other, what a what a better world it would be. And, you know, sometimes it's just I have found myself during the pandemic reaching out to friends more often and making mm-hmm. sure that I call them or, you know, drop them a line or send an actual card in the mail. You know, do things that just to show somebody that you care. It feels good on your end to do it, and it feels great when you receive it. And I think that that's been one of my coping mechanisms in terms of getting through the pandemic. And then I think the other thing is also being very aware that different people have different comfort levels. And just because you feel one way does not, you cannot impose your views on somebody else. And you have to just really try and and just do what feels right for you. And, you know, that's, that's really important, I think, is, is to do what you, what feels right to you. And, and to just be kind, you know, if everybody treated other people the way they wanted to be treated, the world would be a better place. And that is true now during a pandemic, and at any other time. And I think that we just need to be more cognizant of that maybe now more than ever, you know, Oh, absolutely. Really nicely said. If you had to pick, you know, one or two of the most valuable lessons that you gained from meeting these people and getting to know them, you know, what would, you know, can you share what they would be? And it doesn't have to be one or two. It could be more, but. Oh, wow. Well, there's so many good lessons. I mean, I, I will say, you know, I, one of my favorite people from the film was Lucky Louie. He did pass away this year. He, I would go visit him during the pandemic and stand outside his doorway as he was making his mozzarella for his daughter's deli and such a nice guy. But, you know, he, he said his famous quote is happiness is a state of mind. You can be happy with what you have or miserable with what you don't have. You decide. And for me, there are, you know, like everybody, I get up on the wrong side of the bed some days. And then I, I think about that quote and I, I, I picture Lucky Louie and I think, okay, I'm going to pretend like I'm Lucky Sky and what do I have to be grateful for? And, and, you know, try and reframe it. And I think that's been such a valuable lesson for me. I know it has changed my life forever. And I think just working on the film has changed my sense of purpose. I mean, now my sense of purpose is doing these intergenerational projects and connecting generations. And I'm myself getting ready to retire from a 30-year career of teaching. My last day of teaching is actually December 2nd. And Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to my next phase of what I'm going to do, which is more films and more intergenerational work. And so I think that working on the film and meeting all these people also gave me the courage to do that. Um, Evie Justison said, you know, you can be a really boring, dull person or a rut, or you can jump off that cliff. And so I feel like in retiring, I'm kind of jumping off that cliff and, and mm. we'll see what's out there. And so I, I definitely, all the people that I interviewed, their voices speak to me in one way or another at different points during the day. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really amazing. So, and, and I also should say, on our website, one of the things that I did was all everyone that I interviewed, whether they ended up in the film or not, all 40 people are on the Film Stars page. 
along with my favorite quote from each of those people. So if you're feeling down or you feel like you need some inspiration, if you go to the Film Stars page, you can look at some of those quotes and hopefully that'll that'll pick you up a little bit. Oh, nice. That's nice. To, I haven't I haven't gone to the website thing to see so that mm-hmm. I look forward to doing that. So what for what's your definition of a life well lived? Well, I think for me, my definition of a life well lived really comes from my my grandmother's acts of kindness, which is just to live your life being kind. And and to, you know, for me, that's the definition of a life well lived. If I can say at the end of the life that of my life that I've been kind to people, then I've lived a life well lived. Somebody here, um, Martha from New York says, do you think artistic expression is critical to a life well-lived? And if so, why? Or why well, I don't not? know if it, that's a good question. And a lot of people have asked, you know, because a lot of the people in the film have some kind of an artistic bent. And I think that's in part because of the pool of people that I was asking <laughs> for, you know, who, who's your role model? Because I'm an artist. So, of course, all my friends and family and my alum are all going to have some kind of an artistic background. I think it it helps to have something that like being artistic because I know for me at least I will never be bored. I will never run out of projects that I want to do or create. And so I think that that does help, but I also know a lot of the people in the film discovered their artistic or creative expression later in life. So it wasn't something that they were doing, you know, before they retired from a full-time job. It might be something that they picked up afterwards. I mean, my grandmother was a seamstress and she would say to me her way of being peaceful was to go into, she had a sewing room with two sewing machines and she would just go in there and sew and create. And so even something as simple as that gave her that sense of satisfaction. And so there's a lot of ways that one can be creative, you know, whether it's writing or painting or music or sewing, whatever it is, or gardening, you know, there's so many expressions of creativity. And I think it's you, you find what makes you happy and, and, and follow that passion. I think you pretty much answered these. There are four questions from the same person. And and it's interesting because I think that it's this, Mary, who's from Boston, and I think she, Mary in some ways answered her own question as she continued asking questions and making comments, but I think you're responding to it, so I, I think it's well time to ask now. She started out by saying, I need advice on learning to be more outgoing and learning to trust, and then she says, learn to connect quickly, and then she said, what methods would will help, and then she says, how to learn and focus on asking more questions, especially new, outgoing, and positive attitudes and practice, talking about new ideas, how to practice being pleasant and positive. I feel like she sort of um, came to her own conclusion, which is supporting what you just (laughs) said, but I I wanted to mention it because, you know, maybe you have more things to add of, you know, how... You know, if I, I, I guess what I'm hearing in the trajectory of her questions is if, you know, if, if somebody is more, I guess, more introverted or less outgoing, you know, what, what have you learned from the people that you've met that can be helpful to help somebody become more actively part of the world? 
Yeah, I, that's a good question. And I actually consider myself an introvert, which is funny because I, I know that people would look at me and not think that, but I have a brother who is a complete extrovert. And so comparing mm-hmm. myself to him, I've always felt like the introvert. And I think that I've had to push myself to, you know, put myself in a room and meet other people or now to join in on Zoom groups and actually participate and not just turn the screen off and just have my name there, but actually actively participate. And I have, it's amazing how many people I have connected with during this pandemic that I would never have connected with otherwise because of the accessibility of Zoom and being able to reach out to people. And I think don't be afraid to reach out to people. You know, if you, if somebody says something really interesting and you're on a webinar and you think, wow, I really want to actually get to meet that person, I, I try and make that connection and I follow up on those connections. And it doesn't have to be somebody that's in your hometown. It can be somebody that's far away now that you can be connected with. And that definitely helps feel less isolated, I think, when you have those connections. And we're at an interesting point in our in our world where we can the world is flat in so many ways that we can, you know, allow for somebody that might be more of an introvert to actually participate more because of technology. And so I would say, you know, don't be afraid to to use that to your advantage and to really, you know, try and cultivate new friendships. It does take a little bit of work, but it is worth the effort in the end. Great. Thanks. So Thomas from Detroit says, so he says, Sky, gay men lost a generation to HIV AIDS and the life experience that could have been shared. Have you ever held this discussion with an organization or community group in the LGBTQ community? Yeah, I have. And I, you know, I wish that I had included an LGBTQ person in the Life to Live film. And that was just, you know, at a certain point after I interviewed 40 people, I kind of had to say, okay, I've got to finish. I'll never get a film done. And if there is, you know, when I do the film about love, that will certainly be part of that film. And if I do a phase two of Lives Well Lived, I will certainly include somebody that is LGBTQ. But yes, I've had, we've had, you know, Q&As with LGBTQ communities and And they've gone very strongly. And I also have worked with Watermark Retirement Community, who did a really wonderful campaign called Not Another Second, where they documented older adults that had been LGBTQ and told their stories. So, you know, there's a lot that is is coming out now mm. in terms of older adults and and having these discussions around you know many different arenas and and I'm very pleased to see that I'm very happy to be part of that discussion as well Great. And Mary from California says, she says, I'd love to explore using the movie and discussion guide with several local organizations. What do you suggest is the best information to share with them? You mentioned a partnership with AARP. Is that the vehicle or what would you suggest? No, I mean, I think the best thing is that you can um, reach out to me. My email is liveswelllived at gmail.com, and I can help you, you know, use the discussion guide. I can kind of steer you in the right direction. I also have a PDF about the intergenerational projects that we've been doing that's nice to share with an organization that might be thinking of implementing something like this. You know, I think that the best thing is really if you can get a a teacher or somebody from like a girls inc or a boys inc or you know a community organization on board that wants to um do a project like this because it it, you have to have the buy-in almost from 
the teacher or that level because it takes a lot of work on that end to orchestrate it. And then usually you can find older adults who want to participate pretty easily, whether you go to a senior center and just put a call out, it's, it's pretty easy to make that happen. But it's really finding the, you know, the institution or organization that might have younger students that want to work on something like this and, and finding the mm-hmm. person who's like, I have the teacher who's doing, you know, Professor Bartlett who teaches psychology of aging or these people in Upper Iowa University who teach an art class. Actually, it was an art project that they did and, a, and an aging class that worked together on the, the project this time around there. And, you know, so somebody that is going to be in charge at that level is really helpful to connect with. Great. Good, really good suggestions. Rosalie from California wonders, is someone's passion their passion for life, a.k.a. manifestation of the soul, or does passion change over time? Oh, well, I mean, personally, I think passion changes over time. I, I mean, that's just from my own personal experience. I don't know if it's like that for everyone else, but my passion certainly has changed over time. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I like to allow for that to happen, for that flexibility and those pivot moments where you realize, oh, wow, I thought I was interested in this, but actually my passion lies over in this arena. And, you know, I do remember at one point when I was department chair and I used to love photography and I kind of went, no, I'm not loving this anymore. And uh, maybe I just want to be a yoga teacher. I mean, you know, I think that it's okay at different points in our lives to investigate and see where how our passions change and to allow for something like for me this project based around my grandmother has completely changed my passion in life and what i want to do and i think that allowing for those pivot moments and um, being open to that change is really important i think that that's that's something at least in my life that has been very important i have always had this belief of instead of saying why say why not to opportunities and see where they take you and sometimes they take you nowhere but sometimes they take you in such a surprising direction that you never thought possible and it's just what a delight when that happens well tied in with that how did you initially get interested in photography and filmmaking yeah. Well, uh, I was actually a finance major undergraduate as an undergraduate student, and I took a photography class for fun and fell in love with the darkroom and fell in love with watching the image emerge in the developer. And I had a wonderful professor at the time. His name is Lou Marcus, who I am still friends with to this day. And I said to him, Lou, I I know I was like a 4.0 student. I mean, I could just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do it. I mean, I was great with numbers, but I didn't enjoy it. And I, I felt like I had this pressure because I was the smart one in the family that I was going to do something like this. And it was all self-inflicted. My parents had no idea about anything. They didn't have any preconceived idea about what I should or should not do. And But I said to, to Lou, I said to him, I want to be a university professor teaching photography like the job that you have. How do I do that? (laughs) And he was very kind and he took me under his wing. And lo and behold, that's what I ended up being able to do. I went on for my master's in in photography at University of California, Santa Barbara, and and started teaching at Cal Poly in 1995 and, and never looked back. And, you know, it's been great. My mom said that I found the perfect job, which was to be a professional student. I have always loved learning and being in the university setting. That certainly has been the case for me. And then the filmmaking was really, again, purely out of a love of my grandmother and wanting to capture her recipes and realizing that the only way that I could do that 
was by video and 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 that stills weren't going to cut it because she never wrote her recipes down she would say a handful of this and a you know pinch of that and i know all of you have somebody in your family like this and and i just realized i had to film it and and i also wanted the sound of her voice and and so i think you know that was such a personal thing and that's how i i learned how to do it and at that point digital cameras had the ability to start shooting video and it was just the right moment and so i i didn't know anything about video i would go to the apple store and ask lots of questions there were three guys that worked at our local apple store that were really into video i called them my apple gurus and they helped me and taught me about sound and taught me a whole bunch of other things that i needed mm -hmm. to learn and um you know, I, our school here at Cal Poly has a motto, learn by doing, and I feel like that's what I have learned. I, I never let the obstacle be in the way of, wow, I've never done this before. I thought, okay, I want to do this. How do I get to this end game? And I don't need to know everything about video editing or filming. I just need to know what I need to know to get the film done. And I think otherwise it would have been overwhelming. So I always tell my students, you know, take – you have the big idea, the big scary idea, but take baby steps because you've climbed that mountain one step at a time and you make it to the top by, by just putting one foot in front of the other. And that's pretty much what I've done with the film. And then it ended up on PBS. So there you go. If I can do it, you can do it too. It's my first film. And if I can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> well, it's such an inspiration. I mean, it, I know I've always been thinking about wanting to with, uh, ever allow time in my life to to learn how to you know do filming and things like that mm -hmm. you know but so you've inspired me to think maybe i'm not too old to do it now but absolutely uh, but not younger and, than and me no but. way <laughs> no right. but there there is on, on my website on the take action part of my website there is a, a video that i put together basically that talks about interview techniques and tips that i learned along the way because i was such a mm -hmm. beginner that i thought let me put something together for somebody like me who really wants mm -hmm. to get into this, doesn't know what, where to start. And so it's only like 12 minutes long and it's, it's very basic, but I think it does give people who has, have never done any kind of video filmmaking before at least an insight into some of the things to think about. So, you know, feel free to check that out oh, and, great. and, and email me any questions that come up along the way. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, tied in with the filmmaking, the other part of the film, in addition, to just these wonderful people was how you integrated some of the historical um, films and I did did some of the people you interview you know was some of it from them did you just do research into you know the stories they were telling you because yeah you, you, you did such <laughs> a beautiful a job of that so if you could talk about that some for that sure yeah and I think you know, one of the things that's called B-roll footage or background footage, and that's so important. If you're going to do a film about somebody that you love and care about, it's so nice to have that footage of them or of what they are talking about showing instead of just having a talking head. It really, it connects the viewer in a very different way. And I have to give credit. I had two wonderful people that were my associate producers that worked on the film with me, Gail Forrest, who did a lot of the graphic design work for me and then would look at all my edits. And Catherine Trujillo, who helped me immensely in terms of getting all the historic footage and, 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 
educating me on where to look, but also helping me find a lot of it. And it was, you know, for me, that was kind of a big part. I love puzzles and it was like a puzzle trying to fit together the pieces of what worked. And, and I also, I love music. I play guitar and flute and just that pacing of it and knowing how to put that all together, I think was really important. But the, the footage, a lot of it was, we were able to find some of it on the National Archives, which that, that footage is free. But for example, just to give you an idea of how, and this was the most expensive part of making the film, was buying the historic footage. There is a section where Marion Wolf, who, for those of you who haven't seen the film, was eight years old and in, in Vienna, Austria, when she signed herself up for the Kinder Transport, which the Kinder Transport was the, the Quakers in the United Kingdom were trying to rescue as many Jewish children as they they could from Germany and Austria, and they were taking them in to the UK. And she was on the very first transport out of Vienna, Austria. And so there were news agencies that were recording this, and we knew that they had recorded her, that there was like four seconds mm. of her coming off of the boat and really needed to get that footage because it just, you see that and it just, it, it, it connects in such an interesting way when you see her talking about it and then see her at eight years old. And that footage is owned by the UCLA Film Archives and it is $90 a second with a 30 second minimum. So mm. you can multiply that out and some of that footage is pretty expensive. But then on the other hand, the footage that I have and Susie Edelbaum's piece was, like I mentioned, from the National Archives, and and that footage is free to use because that was that was shot by our government for us, and it's in public domain, so you can use that. So it just really depends. And then there was some footage, like um, Lou Tadone had, Lucky Louie had a lot of footage that he had shot, and so we had a lot of footage of his family at that time, and so, you know, some people had that on the flip side, Rosa Bono Ballestero, her family was very poor. They had very little um, money and they didn't even really have a camera. And I had to reach out to all of her siblings to see if they had any, any photographs. And I actually found a high school friend of hers who had some photographs and I went down and, and scanned a lot of that. But Rose really didn't have anything of her own. So, you know, it's right now we think every, everything is, is photographed and filmed because we all have a camera on our phone. But if you think <laughs> to that age group, many of those people didn't have images from when they were younger. So it was a, a really interesting challenge to find a lot of that footage. Yeah. Mm. Oh, thank you. I mean, it just adds the richness to hear a little of that background, too. Mm-hmm. So back to some of the listeners. So Kathleen from Utah says, it seems many of your interviewees cite acceptance of what is as key to their long-term happiness and success. Yet many young people want systemic changes, climate change, racism, etc. How do you think this affects the intergenerational divide? Well, I think that there, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I think that they, there are big issues and that, you know, you have to remember where people are in their lives as well. And I think that many of these people, when they were in their 20s and 30s, were in that same boat. You know, they might have been out there protesting wars or worried about, you know, civil rights and those kind of things. And so I think that it's just, you know, very much a moment of what they're looking at and at their their at their time in life. But I will say that many of the people in the film still go out and protest and do things. And so I, I don't think, I think that they, maybe they accept it, but they still challenge that there can't be a, you know, wh- why can't we do something better? So I, I don't know if that, 
you know, how that comes across necessarily in the film one way or the other. But I think they're still out there trying to make a change. I mean, like Paul and Marion Wolf were still talking to high school students about their experience and, you know, why it's important to, you know, why that it was important to not ever let that happen again. And, you know, I think that there there are people that are out there on the front lines doing these things. Abby Justison goes into high schools with a League of Women Voters and tries to convince the seniors to sign up to pre-register to vote, you know. So I I think that it, it just depends, you know. Great. Great responses to all these questions. Meg here has a comment. Meg from Cambridge says, Sky, I'm enthralled with the wisdom you've learned from your life experience and undoubtedly also from the elders who grace your film. She says, I remember a rough draft at one of the positive aging conferences and is thrilled to hear of your success and new directions as well as leaping into your new chapter. So I just wanted to thank you. That. Thank you for that. that. A, yes. A comment. <laughs> so with that question, I mean, tell us more. You have some, but you've mentioned a lot of the intergenerational work and you know, there's some new films you're working on. Why don't we, you know, sort of focus on that and the time that we have left. And I sure. do want to comment that at at one, I, I have to honor the time and I'm going to give a code for people who are in the retirement certified professional retirement coaches association because there's a code just for that particular group i'll give it one but sky has said she can stay for a few minutes longer if there's some additional questions so you know we can go on a little bit longer but i i it would be great if you can share you know any additional things about the intergenerational but all these the the movie love you mentioned the other films that you're working on tell us where you're what you're doing next now with your your retirement is like next week it sounds like (laughs) it is like well you know i i I mentioned, or as you mentioned, there's two short films that are on the film festival circuit right now. One is called Forever Voters, and it is about, you know, Evie Justison introduced me to the, to the League of Women Voters here in San Luis Obispo that was going into high schools and talking to students about the importance of voting and why one vote really matters and getting them to register and pre-register to vote. And I thought that was so important that I did a film around that and also interviewing the students about what were the issues that they were very interested in voting on. I mean, you know, I think that there is a bit of a disconnect sometimes when people think, oh, younger people don't care about anything. And I could not be farther from the truth. And so getting their viewpoint. And it, I, again, love that intergenerational connection where you have older, mostly women, but also men from the League of Women Voters going into the high schools and treating those students like, you know, the students talked about it being the first time that they were treated as an adult and what a difference that made for it not to be coming from a parent or a teacher, but for somebody outside to be saying your vote matters and we want you to register to vote. And so I love that, again, that intergenerational connection. The other film that I'm, I uh, finished that I will probably be the beginning of a feature film is called Mochisuki, and it is about the Japanese tradition of making mochi the week between Christmas and New Year's. And I was lucky enough to be part of um, Susie Edo Bauman's family get together every year about 150 people from up and down the coast of the West Coast. And and they do this mochisuki ceremony, which is, you know, wonderful because it's the passing on of this tradition. And I think that I resonate with it because I cooked in the kitchen with my grandmother. And that was when the best stories came out and when the best mm-hmm. traditions were passed down. And so I'm looking at doing a film that talks about many different cultures that 
what do they bring when they come to this country? How do they keep their traditions alive? And how is that passed down from one generation to the next? And and then the film about love, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed in the Lives Will Live film was when people would talk about their relationships and how, how you could see the sparkle in their eyes, whether they met five years ago or 50 years ago when they talk about when they first met. And also their words of wisdom about how to stay together in a relationship. And we all want love in one form or another. And, you know, that is that is something that I want to pursue as, as a film about love. So those are the things that I'm working on. Those are the things that are percolating right now. Well, that sounds wonderful. Talk a little more, if you would, of, you know, I, I, I think as I look at who all is on the call, too, the intergenerational piece, I think, is such an important, and actually Mary from California says, your description of intergenerational projects creating meaningful meaningful connections and actions are so inspiring. Thank you. <laughs> Can you talk more about, because I think it's such an important area, and, you know, there, there's so many stereotypes that people have of each other, as you say. And this, you know, the film and, you know, thinking about the discussion guide you have, I mean, it's, it's, it's really working on breaking down stereotypes and confronting ageism. So can you just say more about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I really, it, it's been such a wonderful gift to be able to work on these projects. And I'm hoping that with a film having been on PBS, that it opens it up to even more of an audience and, and more intergenerational projects. But, you know, one of the wonderful responses that we had at a, a rap party, I don't think it was this, this one, but the last spring, was I had a, a young student and he said, that this was the first new friend that he had made during the pandemic. And I just thought, how wonderful is that, that his first new friend was an older adult in his life and, you know, somebody that's not related to him, but now that he considers a friend. And I think the more that we can create these connections and the more that we can have these projects that, you know, interweave the generations, the the better off that we are. So I'm always looking for people to collaborate with who are like-minded, who want to see more of this work happen. I think one of the things that that works about the film is that younger people see the film and they see the people in the film at their age and they realize, oh, wow, an older person might have this whole life. And it just, it opens them up, I think, more for this, to have this conversation and this connection. At least that's what I have found. And I also have found that when people watch the film, when I was doing um, Q&As in person, I would ask the audience, how many of you are thinking of somebody that would have been perfect for the film or you would have been perfect for the film? And 95% of the hands go up. So the film kind of gets you thinking in terms of connecting with an older adult, connecting with a mentor. And the more that we have that in our lives, the, the richer our lives become over the long haul. And so you know, for any of you out there that are looking for ways to create intergenerational connection, please reach out. I'm always happy to brainstorm and try and figure out ways within your community that there might be people to connect with to make something like that happen. What I have found with the film and also with these intergenerational projects, it's just really all through word of mouth that things have happened. You know, one person believes in what we're doing and they tell the next person and it's a domino effect and, and doors open. So the more that we can get the word out about it, the, the better off everyone will be. It also got me thinking your response to Kathleen's question about maybe the difference between younger people and older and your comment that, you know, many of these people when they were the same age as the youngers, you know, were involved and still are involved in social justice or, you know, whatever was going on at the time. It seems 
to me that could be a wonderful part of the intergenerational conversation too of thinking back and having a conversation of gee when I was whatever age the person is 13 20 30 whatever these are the things I was interested in that that you know just using those kind of questions could be you know sort of so interesting of just what was different Mm -hmm. you know in the generational time but also what was similar and how people approached it. Yeah, and I would say that one of the things, one of the common themes when, you know, the, the, the students talk about their experience is that, the, is that they realize that there are far more commonalities than differences. And, right. and I think that people are just people. The age is just a number, and it really, you know, there's just so much more that they have in common than the differences. And it's just really a matter of taking that time to get to know somebody and to, to know that, wow, maybe they were part of the civil rights movement or they were, you know, right out there for other for other reasons and it just but it, you might not know that about the person just looking at them and not taking the time to sit down and talk to them and so I think that those conversations do come up when they do these you know times with each other they usually and it depends if it's a quarter or a semester system but they have three or four sessions where mm-hmm. they get to meet with each other and during that the course of that time all, those things usually do come up which is really lovely. So a couple more comments here, then we'll pull it together. Mm-hmm. Maria from Florida says, fascinating inspiration and results. Thank you for sharing. And Jane from uh, Durham says, the intergenerational meetings are so important. My last grandparent died when I was three years old. My sister said we didn't oh. know any elderly people. Now I'm elderly, and this is so encouraging that older people still have purpose and meaning in their lives. I've not seen much of this in my family, and it's very encouraging, though, to think about all of this. Yeah, and I think one of the wonderful things about the intergenerational projects is there are a lot of older adults that maybe don't have a connection to their family or didn't have kids and don't have family but still want to have a connection to younger people. And so this is one way that that can happen and a really beautiful way that that can happen. So just share again, so it's fresh on people's mind, what your website is, sort of what's there, how to connect with you, and then, you know, kind of maybe a final takeaway that you'd like people to carry (laughs) with them as they go forward. (laughs) Sure, yeah. So, well, again, thank you so much for the opportunity to to speak today. I really appreciate it, and I know it's a lot of work to put these together, so I really appreciate all your work and all of Donna's work in putting this together. Best contact for me is, if you want to reach out via email, is liveswelllived at gmail.com. And our website is lives-well-lived.com. And on the website, there's, as I mentioned, all the film stars with my favorite quotes from all the film stars. There's a place on the website where there's shared stories. So you can look at people's stories that have been shared or you can share your own story. On the take action part of the website, there's information about our intergenerational projects. You can download the PDF about it the intergenerational projects. You can download our our resource guide, our um, discussion guide, the video that I put together about some interview techniques and and tips. And there's also the ways that you can watch the film. So uh, it's wonderful. If you have a PBS membership, it's on PBS Passport for free for the next three years. If not, it's on Amazon and iTunes. And, And PBS is playing it for the next three years on and off. So you can check your local listing guide. And we also have that on our airings page. And 
we have a Facebook page and Instagram and everything else as well. You can find that all from going to our website. But mostly I would say my takeaway is when you get, especially now that we're getting to the holidays and you're getting together with people in your family or even just friends, take a time to ask questions, to dig a little deeper, to not do the surface thing, but to really, you know, use the questions that I formulated. You can blame those questions on me, but to start that conversation going and to really get, it's amazing what you will learn if you just take the time to sit and really listen to somebody and truly be an active listener and, and really engage with, with somebody of a different generation, of the same generation. It doesn't really matter. It's just more taking that time to really interact. And then I think, you know, on the, the final note that I would say is, you know, especially with it being Thanksgiving, do something kind for someone else. And, and you know, that's if you do one little kind thing, even if it's just something very simple, it will make you feel so much better and that person feels so much better. And so I hope that everybody has a wonderful holiday season. And thank you again for taking the time out of your day to listen to me talk about the film <laughs> and all the intergenerational work. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for taking the time to share all this wonderful inspiration and wisdom, both from what you've done so far and also these, you know, projects that you have coming up. Good luck with all of them. And, and you know, hopefully you'll come back and we'll talk again about sort of some of these new projects as they get off the ground. So thank you again. It would be for... my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, happy holidays to everybody. And thank you for sharing this last 2021 and see you all in 2022 you've been listening to revolutionize your retirement radio with dr dorian mincer to learn more about the resources mentioned on today's show listen to past episodes or download our free retirement transition guide visit revolutionize your retirement radio.com